Hello and welcome to the HPP podcast. This week's episode is hosted by a guest who is part of the Health Promotion Practice Journal family. Enjoy. So welcome, everybody. This is a special, total special, super special podcast edition. Totally special, isn't it, Bob? Here today, I don't even have a title for this, but this is like the man behind, the person behind some of what the showed questioning method for photo voice. Totally excited to talk to Roy Schaefer today. My name is Robin Evans Agnew. I'm one of the co-editors for the Journal of Health Promotion Practice, a special series of podcasts on people, power, and photo voice, the little method that could change the world. And this edition is coming up in January 2022, totally focused on photo voice. And for those of you new to photo voice, It's a participatory visual method where participants take and discuss photos on health promotion issues relevant to their lives and then act to change them through raising awareness, mitigation of those problems, or transformation of the policies that oppress. In advance of the publications, we wanted to have you meet some of the folks sort of behind this methodology, and this is kind of why we're here today, and a brief opportunity to sort of chat with them about how they are kind of core to this method and and what they're contributing. So without further ado, I've got my co-editor-in-chief, Bob Strack, with us too, and in the room too is Arden Castle, but Bob, how about you go and introduce our guest today? Yeah, like you said at the beginning, we're real excited and sort of somewhat came out of Victoria Sanchez on our editorial board. And Victoria said, you know, Roy is my neighbor. And I think you might be curious to talk to him. And then once we got into it, we knew right away that we definitely wanted to talk to you, looking at your Beyond the Dispensary materials for the guided your work in Kenya. But also I told Robin beforehand, I downloaded your Safari further along the road to Kilimanjaro onto my Kindle. And I've been enjoying reading it the last few days, kind of getting ready to talk to you. And I just see a lot of connections between the way you think, the way you've approached your work and the things that we're trying to do. And part of what Robin and I talked about with the issue is we really wanna make sure that people know you're the one that brought along showed, you're the one that brought along some of these participatory methods well beyond photo voice was on the map. And so we're really excited to have you in the house to talk about your thinking, your work, how showed came about and how you used it. And a little bit about your challenges for the field, your things you wanna hope for the field. You want to say hello to everybody? Yeah, okay. I'm <laughs> delighted there's a whole new family I'm entering into, <laughs> the photo voice family, and delighted that the ideas I struggled with so long ago, I thought had died by the wayside, but I hear some of them being revived. So delighted to see you. Uh, you you live on Roy. So I have to tell you, my story of discovering Roy Schaefer was sitting around because I've been using the showed method for a long time, but it's not, it's, it wasn't clear who kind of came up with the showed method. Right. And I read I'm Mary, Mary Winkler's and, and, and Wallerstein's article on health promotion that came out. It's a classic article came out and inside it, they talk about the using the showed method. And then, oh my God, there was a reference right next to it. And I was like, no way, someone actually created this. And I went and looked and there was Beyond the Dispensary. And lo and behold, Roy, I don't know whether you know this, but it's freely available on the web. You just type in Beyond the Dispensary and you get the whole PDF downloaded to your front doorstep. So I was sort of sitting there and I was little, my, I always write in the morning at my kitchen table and I look up at my family and I'm like, you won't believe what I found. I found Beyond the Dispensary. I know what that showed method. So tell us about that. Tell us about Beyond the Dispensary and give us a kind of the story of how this kind of came about, what you were trying to do in terms of translating the teachings of, of Paulo Freire 
to this this deep practice in community? Yeah, yeah, it's rather complicated because I'm not an educator or, or a philosopher or anything. I'm a garden variety MD. I joined the Flying Doctor Service and the idea, because my background was in Masailand, I grew up in Masailand on the Masailand, Masailand in Kenya, right? Yeah. Kenya, and then later in Tanzania also. Yeah, but, okay, yeah, yes. Was in Kenya. And we put emphasis on uh, mobile units, taking not only clinical care, but preventive medicine to uh, remote tribes. And sort of backed into Paulo Freire by way of Kenya Catholic Secretariat. They were keen on him at that time. And I've teamed up with a, a nurse, Geraldine Heising. She was head of nursing at uh, Rubaga Hospital, big, big hospital in Kampala. And she got tired of recycling, same kids, same disease, same treatment, uh, recycling disease. And she left it and went into preventive medicine. So she and I teamed up on promoting what essentially, I think Paulo Freire was the single most important motivator of this new perspective. And so what, 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 give us a, give us a sort of a, a rough time of when this was happening. Was this in the 60s? Was it in? Yeah, this would have been early 70s. Early 70s. Okay. I was with AMREF in the early 60s. I was district medical officer in Monduli in Mosai and had preventive ideas, but then went to the States to get our kids through college, came back in 74. So okay. really this, most of this work is 74. And one was Alma Ata, that, 77 or so was it yeah yeah and you you weren't too happy with Almaeta. you thought it was a bit too top down is that right yeah i thought it was wasteful of money and energy and so forth the <laughs> whole perspective was not on what's within the villagers themselves but it's all organizational emphasis in the beginning of beyond the dispensary i had i editorialized i forget what i said but i wasn't keen on almata uh, i was keen on their ultimate aim Right. But the modus operandi, there is more emphasis on Toyotas than on the villagers' thinking. Yes. So I mean, this... you have a long and deep history with Kenya, and you have a long and deep history with its transition out of colonialism to its own independent country. You were born there. And so you watched the country change from outside run, oriented to internally possessed and driven. And I think you were part of that movement of MD to public health, right? I mean, you were seeing a need for infrastructure development. Yeah. Oh, and I changed the course myself. I mean, yeah. me and my parents, our outlook on racism back then, today would be seen as horrible. <laughs> so I sort of philosophically evolved uh, when the light dawned on me. So can you talk more about these? You you are a mnemonic person, right? Absolutely. So you you came up with these ideas around Lepsa and, and Starter. And then the show, but take us through each one of those because because Paulo Freire is not easy to read for a lot of people. Oh, you got them written down. There right. you go. <laughs> nice. As I said, I was introduced to Paulo Freire by some people who Catholics who were working out in the bush and, and had a bottoms up perspective. And but I struggled with them because I couldn't understand. I think it suffered in translation, but he had a five point thing in English, and I can't remember now what the words were, but it was supposedly a distillation. Okay, I thought that it needed simplifying for the sake of my Kenyan colleagues for whom English is a second language. And out of that came LEPSA, which is learner-centered, 
problem posing, or Paulo Freire would call it a code, self-discovery, not being anointed or a funnel put on your head, but self-discovery, and then A stands for action taking. So that's Lepso. Very um, Freirean. Yeah, and I like I like how it's sort of brought, we've been talking about dialogue and the importance of dialogue in terms of the awakening of critical consciousness, but this idea of uh, problem posing self discovery is great, but to have that beginning be learner centered, it flips the table in terms of how you approach it as a facilitator, right? If you're coming in from the outside, it's no longer about you, and it's no longer about your direction. It is learner centered. Powers in your community. Oh, Mao Zedong said, start where they are at. It's yes. bad grammar, but it's good philosophy. Start yes. where they are at. A splendid. So so you took that and then you kind of you you're you're trying to do this bottom-up generation and change with villages. How did showed come out as that? And how did you practice or use or apply the showed questioning strategy? Well, showed, I must reemphasize, goes back to the word starter of what Paulo Ferrer called a code. I called it a starter. Start the lesson with something that is startling, hopefully startling to catch their attention. In other words, posing a problem. And I, I spell it this way because the problem as posed should be short, simple, sensitive, solvable, and various other S's. They should be the characteristics of what Paulo Ferrer would call a code, but I call a starter, posing the problem in a way that gets through to their thinking. And then having posed the starter, having done this little play or riddle or whatever you want to call it, then you analyze it, sit down with them. You've done the starter. Right. Then say, now, look, let's go dissect this. Let's go over it with a fine tooth comb. What did the people see? You talk to the learners. What did you see? That's mainly specifically what physical objects? Right. Did, they, did they see an egg or did they just see a stone? Mm -hmm. Did they see a mother going to market or did they see a prostitute? What physical thing? It's simply clarifying that they saw what you hoped they would see. Right. And, and it's, it's learner-centered then inside that, right? Because it's, it's oh, from yeah. their perspective. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, and then the O is, a, is that our problem? Do we have such a problem here? And uh, it's like confession, you might say, in a way. And then right. why is this problem? What are the causes? And of course, that's an unending spin, but another W uh, could be, what if we do nothing about it? Mm. And uh, then the final D is, what are we going to do? Action. Let's transport this knowledge into action. Money, men, materials. And be very specific. Who? Sarah? John, Joe, who, who's going to do it? When? Tomorrow or Milele? <laughs> Swahili for never, never, never. And more the Ds, a series of Ds, men, money, and materials, actual implementation of right. the system. And I got the impression from looking at your materials you developed while you were doing this work that you were very in tune to the fact that you needed space to analyze the problem, to really think about its angles before you jump to solutions. It seemed like you were really staging some deeper thinking around the issue before you jump to an action. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. The starter, SSS starter, one of the rules, uh, cardinal rule is 
the solution must not be included in the starter. Right. You mustn't give away the solution. You must, must, must let them discover the solution to the problem, their own thinking. Each learner must have his eureka moment where aha, or as they say in Swahili, lo, uh, L-O-H, exclamation mark. The, the eureka moment. Don't rob them of that by pouring the uh, solution of the problem into the mix. Because you came into this and we were talking about how this relates to photo voice, I just gonna make the tie for you. Robin and I do photo voice research. And one of the things that we do with photo voice is we have the people in the community take the photos. Those become the codes. Those become the starter material, right? Yeah, yeah. And once that material is put in front of the group, the group then it does exactly what you described there, which is starting with basically what do we see here? How does it relate to our lives? and all the way down to the action. But just like you, I've discovered that we need to take the time to really look at the angles. But within Photo Voice, the photos are being taken by the community folks themselves. That becomes the code and the free and code that then gets discussed using the method that you developed. So you yeah. need to know that the showed method is being used repeatedly around the world to dissect and dig deeper on these coded photos. Yeah. Oh, I'm delighted to hear that. I went to Nicaragua once to help, and somebody there translated into Spanish. Uh, the words were fiddled a bit, but the same principles applied. Nice. We, we did it with our group. We made a mnemonic for that as well, and I've found another one online as well. So a couple of people have written about translating showed into different questioning strategies. So big legacy, Roy. How does this, for Maybe you... Already. <laughs> how does this how does this translate in the work ahead? You've had a benefit of seeing, you know, medicine do kind of several flips over its time. The field of medicine, the field of health promotion, health disease prevention. Where do we go next? How do we get out of this mess? What do we need to do? Where's the urgency? Right. Well, again, it's it's psychological, and it the hinge pin I would say is the lowest paid health establishment worker or the community health worker herself, ideally the community health worker, but that's very different in different places. But that community health worker in my ideals is a woman who's influential enough, who is successful enough in her own life to have made a success with her kids and is thus influential on the rest of the community to plant the seeds. Now the community health worker can be a man also, but because women are closer into the MCH stuff, they are more likely to be mm -hmm. good people. So, uh, and I, I just, I've been retired a long time and I don't know what the state of the art is, to what extent that those people are hinges of progress. The hinge pin, let's, let's put it, the hinge pin of progress. So would they, themselves would a community health worker themselves employ the showed questioning strategy in their work inside the community and all of the other ones the starter and and all of those other things you've talked about is oh. that your vision that's that's really these are techniques to be employed by the community health worker ideally yes we never got near that in my day we were still trying to train trainers of community health workers we we're trying to imbue these things in them, Geraldine Heising and I started what's called TOT, T-O-T, Training of Trainers uh, of Community Health Workers. But again, to emphasize what you've suggested, these mnemonics, these little um, mental reminders, 
ideally are applied by the community health worker. That's fantastic. I, I, I want to. I, I think we've got to end this segment. But Bob, you've got one last question for the good of the order. I mean, I just like the the fact that he went to the influencer, right? The decision maker, the influence in the community, which is part and parcel of what Photo Voice is all about. So your thinking, your philosophy is deeply embedded in work that's ongoing and continuing. And we owe you gratitude for the work you did and the fact that it's guiding the field. So thank you. So. That's it. That's the end of this mini segment, everybody. Stay tuned. We might have some more podcasts coming up as we get down the line to looking at how the issue is unfolding. We've got plenty more people to talk to from Bob's team as well. So we'll come up with more ideas. But this has been the end of this short podcast series. Thank you very much. And thanks again to Arden Castle, who's pulled it all together and making sure it's all on the Health Promotion Practice website and Inside Sage Journals. Thank you. Wow. Oh my gosh. So you made me think, Bob, I don't know whether you've done this, Bob, but you've, have you done the train, the trainer of photo voice? Like, okay. So, so that is like having the community health worker do the showed questioning, this vision that Roy has for the community health worker becomes an agent of change. The word health is, is something different. It's not like tied to a clinic. It's not tied to a health department. It is doing something different. It's an agent of change inside of that. And you've had people, Bob, do train the trainer and then have people begin to enact photo voice in, in communities like this way. Yeah, I mean, when I look at what Roy did in Kenya, and by the way, I, I want to mention to you, I spent some time a couple of years ago in Saeya, uh, Kisumu, uh, oh. doing some work in Kenya. I was only there for a week, but our project's ongoing. It was with women and HIV taking prep and doing photo voice work in Kenya. So I was fascinated to read your Beyond the Road to Kenya and text, which is really a story of your life. So it's really fun. And I'm going to spend more time with it. Yeah. But no, we've done, yeah, we've done the train the trainer thing. And I think Roy said it earlier. It's really around philosophy. It's around creating the space so people philosophically understand their power and their role within the solution within the community. Roy talks about it relative to the empowerment with the train the trainers and knowledge and transfer of knowledge. We talk about it in photo voice relative to using images and stories to influence decision makers. So yeah. it's, it's really part and parcel well, of the same thing. worth a thousand words. Yeah, no, right, exactly. So, I mean, I, I think if photo voice had been around when you were in the prime of your work, you probably would have jumped all over it, I suspect. Yeah, I remember hearing about it, but I never came in contact with it. You mean putting cameras into the hands of kids to go around? Yep, anybody, in the hands of anybody, honestly, yeah. yeah. So, so on that note, Roy, so I'm just trying to tie up the history bit. How did Minkler and Wallerstein hear about your work beyond the dispensary? Were you connected with the University of Albuquerque? Were you sharing tools? Were you doing lectures? How did they hear like about it? Ed Bernstein was part of that too. No, I, Panina Ochola and I were running a workshop in Nairobi and um, Nina came and sat in on that workshop. Then okay. years later, I moved to Albuquerque, partly because the University of New Mexico training of doctors included a lot of showed stuff. So I met Nina Wallerstein here and had sat in some of her sessions. So well, that was the connection. I don't know what had brought her to Africa in the first place. I can't remember. But that's fascinating. So you've got- That makes sense. That Brazil, was Brazil, 
Yeah, th when, that's the right timeline. Sorry, I cut you off, I know. But when Nina and, and Ed published her empowerment education for areas ideas adapted to health education and she cited your work, I suspect Carolyn Wong and, and Marianne Burris picked up on that. And that's probably where the translation came into Photo Voice through Nina's work. Oh, that's fascinating. Fascinating. A little aside here. When I got ready to move to Albuquerque, all our kids were overseas except one. And he lived in Albuquerque. And I looked at the medical school and I'd had an application from a third or fourth year medical student to come out and sit on some of my sessions. And I said, well, why do you come to my taught sessions? He said, well, they teach like that in the University of New Mexico. I said, baloney. I couldn't believe that any American medical school would have that approach, but they did to a certain extent. And that influenced my deciding to retire in Albuquerque instead of uh, Albany, New York. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I mean, but it's a deep tradition. There's still, you know, the, the community-based participatory work is is very strong and recognized. Albuquerque's been recognized for that. But it, I, I also wonder about the sort of connection with the Navajo Nation and practices and, and ways that they've always conducted health promotion and done, done work as well. That's another factor that made me feel so at home here. The, the Navajo are somewhat, in, in many ways, similar to the Maasai. When I go to their dances, I just feel right at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. You know, I wonder how much of this is related to, and this is a question, not a statement, but you're talking about two resource-lacking environments, right? And yeah, so to yeah, increase yeah. the health or to take care of the health of a person, there's, I mean, you mentioned, you know, what in your one report, pill for every problem, a needle for every need, and trying to move people away from that mindset that they can show up for the magic potion. So maybe yeah. the environment where it's not, with a less structured healthcare system necessitates a different exactly. way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, trachoma, uh, the Navajo and the Maasai have trachoma in common, but the, the Navajo have managed to kick it out and the Maasai are still working on it. I think we could probably learn something from, I mean, even resource rich healthcare settings could learn something from reorienting ourselves, right? Rethinking about you know, where health resides and how we approach it. Yeah. You, you were asking, Roy, what the development has been inside community health workers and my other field of research or, or health-related research or anything is, is around asthma and, and childhood asthma. And there's been a great inflorescence over the last 10 or 15 years, 20 years now, for community health worker-oriented approaches towards assisting communities in managing asthma. And the, the crazy thing with that is that it's still not funded through any kind of standard health insurance system. Every health insurance system that's a Medicaid provider has some kind of a community health worker angle for it, but it's all based on kind of pilot. We'll see if this works. It's not, it's not like standard operating procedure. And at the same time, it's still nested within a health system. And yeah. I just, it's a troubling part of it right because you're still working for the master then right in in a different way and there's still not a code for showed right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah you're, you're talking about a billable code <laughs> <laughs> which is what drives everything if it's uh in the uh, bill of billing oh. category we're, we're talking about foundation stones here you know kenya is a powerhouse of growing fruits and vegetables what do you call that it begins with an h anyhow the foundation for that was Robin's dad's work, amongst others, botany. The botanists at UNM, uh, University of Nairobi, yeah. Yeah. 
the foundation for the horticulture giant which Kenya has become. That's and right. I think maybe some of our foundations can be catalysts for a, a, a very great improvement on community-based healthcare. Yeah, it's it's a very different approach. I'm just like, you know, we got Arden listening in here and Arden's an MPH student. And at the same time, those sort of foundations of health are still kind of structured and they, they struggle inside this structure of the healthcare system, right? Healthcare as a conjoined word. But what you're talking about is, you know, food, housing, these other fundamental rights, social right? Social determinants. Yeah, social determinants, which we toss around, but we, we don't, we, it's hard for us to sort of break out of the institution. The molds. Yeah. When yeah. you were flying around, so did you flew from village to village? Was that the flying doctors? Did you do that or were you just traveling between? Oh, I didn't village? know that. I was trying uh, to imagine you in an airplane. I was. Yeah. Well, I, I got my PL, but it didn't prove sensible. So my travel was by Land Rover. Okay. Uh, for the far reaches of Tanzania, sometimes the founder, Michael Wood, would fly me and drop me off there. But uh, I didn't do any itinerant flying, no. So you'd, you'd land in a village and then, and then what would be the practice? What would, what would you be doing? You'd be working with, still with that same nurse who came and joined you? It would be a case that that nurse would have been in my taught courses. Okay. And she would then sit down with the people and try to develop community health work. So I'm talking about hired professional nurses or nursing aides or social workers or one or two doctors who were the main providers of showed but then it was from them to plant that seed in the mind and heart of the selected woman or man in the village itself oh mm -hmm. so, yeah language is critical because the community health workers very few of them spoke english and relatively few of them were illiterate so we had to translate these ideas into the language. And that's why visual aids were critically important. How long did you spend in the, the top communities where you're using the top method? Oh, it varied a lot because some of our clientele were in, in townships, uh, slums of Nairobi, Mathari. Others were in the far reaches of Moss Island where <laughs> you'd have a one crawl with 20 people and go five miles to the next crawl. So the context was very different. How did you, when you went to these communities and you sort of planted the seeds that you hoped would, you know, take root and flourish, how did you gauge whether or not you were having an impact? Did you, did you have some sort of evaluation or thought process around what you were? It was too rudimentary for that. However, we were trying to help, help the community health worker realize that she was an important person. And anyhow, in Book Beyond the Dispensary, there's a thing called Health Happenings. Uh, oh, here it is. Let's see. Oh, no. <laughs> I can't find it. But anyhow, it's called Health Happenings. It's simply pictures. It's a catalog of pictures concerning developments. How many mothers have breastfed long enough? How many homes have latrines? How many this? How many that? And you say you visit her every three months. At the end of three months, what is the difference in those numbers? They're, they're illiterate, but they can still count. And so, right. so with the help of a picture and, and a labeled picture, 
then you can take their data to evaluate the progress of health in that community. So data gathering was of great importance. Now, a, a um, modern data epidemiologist curl his teeth at, at our data, but nevertheless, in the mind, it, it was part of the fabric of the thinking of the community health workers. And therefore, I considered it very important. And I think some communities are using these health happenings charts, but I'm sure as the health ministries gets farther and closer into the communities, they will come up with their own data gathering. But it'd be a shame if the local community health worker were not part of the data gathering mechanism. Yeah, it's perfect. That's, uh, we, we have one of, well, probably more on, on our editorial board. The particular person I'm thinking about is Ryan Petaway, who yeah. talks about really this needed revolution inside epidemiology, Roy, towards oh. social epidemiology, right? To have people run their own epidemiology and, and to pick the indicators that matter to them, right? Instead of having someone from the outside go, mm, we're going to count race because that's important to us. That's right, health happenings. Page 48, I think that is. I was right? pulling it up just yeah. as you were. I've got an electronic version <laughs> of it. So, so in terms of communicating stuff, so maybe you're not communicating around evaluation stuff, but you did this radio show. Roy, it's funniest story because I couldn't get this in America, this this hard copy book, and and it was going to be too expensive to have it shipped over. So it sat in my dad's house in 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 Wales. He's like, "When are you going to come pick this book up, Robin?" I'm like, "Well, I'm going to come visit you soon. I'll get this book." But it, but it, it was in Britain, in some library in Britain, and I was able to get it as they oh, as they <laughs> as they referenced it. But but you did this whole series of radio talks around health education, health promotion. How did that come about? What's, what was sort of going on in your mind and your evolution in terms of thinking that that's what you needed to do next? A predecessor of mine at MREF had given a weekly talk on health uh, and it got a bit sophisticated. It was all about disease and cure and he was a professor and he left and wanted me to take over. Well, that wasn't my style. So, but the Kenya Broadcasting agreed to take whatever I would give them for a 12 minute talk and so I decided to give emphasis, start where the people are at. Again, a bottoms up approach to some of these problems. And we ended up with 100 talks on Voice of Kenya radio. That was pre-television. That's fascinating. So that went out to all of Kenya, right? That's, that's yeah. a national yeah. broadcast. Yeah. And I was surprised how, how the response. I was at a conference one and, and some bishop pulled me aside. He said, you know, I really like your program. <laughs> I father, a bishop of the Anglican Church would, but then often had many semi-literate people way out in the bush to where the radio went. The radio right. went further than Amra went, actually. And many people there said, oh, you, you, they talked to me and they'd say, you know, you sound just like that crazy guy on the radio. <laughs> You're a humble celebrity is what you are, humble celebrity. <laughs> But that, but that's the work of health promotion, right? I mean, you you figure out the landscape you're in, and you figure out the ways to communicate the message. And I think you just said again, I developed it from the bottom up, not from the top down. I'm not going to go. This is the disease I need to talk about, and I'm going to talk about it first with physiology and all all the way down. You you talked about it from the, the living experience of 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 encountering that things. Art where they are at. Yes. Yes. See, Robin, he has a lot in common with you coming out of the nursing background. You've 
moved and realized that the fun is in public health. <laughs> yes, yes. We're a small corner of nursing, but yeah, for sure. When, when I finished college, I went to London universities for a course in, called Colonial Education. Oh, uh, my gosh. And my mentor, my tutor was Nick Evans, a real Welshman. Oh, there you go. Nick Evans, colonial education. So what was that about? What was it just about how to go out and educate in the colonies? Yeah, right. And oh, my gosh, that's so great. Savages from their bondage. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so did you, did you feel? And we had a wonderful time in Wales. That was like a, another colony. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. We've had a lot of fun with the English over time in our country, but we maintained our language. So you probably yeah. left at around the time when the language is really under threat and the, and the Welsh language has survived. And, and you taught the world how to sing. That's right. That's right. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And when I did spend some time in Kenya, I noticed how much, and I think this was somewhat a result of its colonization, but it's a very Christian country, more so than any place I've ever experienced. Very much so, uh, by label at least. And the and the amount of homegrown and experience, expressed music from the people is everywhere. The, yeah. the, they're so joyful. The people are so joyful and they're so pleasant and so curious and and just really really interesting folks. Mm -hmm. yeah. sure Fascinating place. Yeah, you worked in Kisumu. Yep. Yeah, uh huh. Right. I worked with Quango uh, Arga. She has an organization called Impact RDO in okay. Kisumu, but they work in that region with the tribes in that region. <laughs> I hope to go back. I also, you know, in preparation for reading about you, reading, kind of absorbing, doing a, a crash course in Roy Schaefer, I reached out to a friend of mine who has a degree from Wheaton, who was a professor at Taylor, asked if he knew about you, and he said, absolutely. My wife's father hired Roy in Kenya. His name was Bill Sen. Oh, yeah. One of the greatest bosses I ever had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I just was so all these. I mean, you worked, Henry Mosley came and worked with you. He was a colleague of mine at Hopkins. He was retired or nearing retirement when I was up there in Baltimore. And so just yeah. a little small world kind of thing. I bought Henry Mosley's washing machine and dryer <laughs> in Nairobi. <laughs> That's great. You know, but yeah, Bob Aronson said a lot. He said he definitely knew of you. I don't know that he knew you, but he knows. Yeah, yeah. actually, he said he trained your niece, probably at Taylor, I would imagine. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah. a small world. And he had and nothing but glowing things to say about you and the work that you do. Yeah. Oh, Bob Aronson. He was said son-in-law, right? That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. So there's this sort of legacy, right, that that you've left us inside our sort of corner of the research world in terms of qualitative research, you philosophy. know, Bob, philosophy, social change, orientation, uh, and 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 this and this call, you know, we've been, Bob and I have been sort of battling with a little bit with does does photo voice have relevancy anymore right everybody's taking photographs photographs are empowering certainly but tons and tons of people are doing this people don't watch still images that much anymore maybe they do maybe they do more but it, it's it's interesting that the passion and the challenge in front of us for community health promotion is still there it's still raw to me what's gone on in this country with both 
racial division, white nationalism, and the, you know, this abuse of power, and a healthcare system that we all knew was broken, being even more broken through this. What's to be done with us? What, what should we be doing as educators differently now, given what we've seen this last year? Well, we're like under a, a tsunami of problems, and it's hard to see the daylight up ahead, uh, uh, from amongst all the things which hinder health development. But again, we need to get back. Look at how Trump has gotten away with bloody murder with 70 million people. Now, there are a lot of yeah. 70 million bigots out there. Yeah. How do we, now I'm being a bigot by calling them bigots, but at the community level, community mindedness, the, the community mind, you yeah. have to get back to that, back to the, uh, and that's where the community health worker entree into the community. Now, sure, we want to get the mind of the leaders, the, the big shots, and the, uh, but the minute a person has the political power, he gets to be a, another kind of bigot. So I come back to the basic idea of community health workers as one tool among many to begin to dig out from under this, uh, this Pompeii situation <laughs> covered with lava. And uh, modern development has yeah. smothered the spirit of self-reliance for health. Yes. And the idea that the only people who should be paying for community health workers or supporting community health workers are inside the health industry, whether that's public health or, or hospital-based healthcare system care, I, I think is wrong. I think that the broader application of community health workers needs to be in sort of ingrained with within all of the practices of community-based organizations and community-based institutions, right? That yeah. to, have, to have that kind of embedded work that focuses on not whether exactly who you voted on, but focuses on where you're gonna be able to get healthy food from, right? Where you're gonna be able to have a safe place to live. These, these other fundamental human rights we seem to have sort of lost in the in the fray of all of these other sorts of things i know we've talked about it but i i love i'm a big fan of on being with Kristen tippett and she did an interview with brian stevenson who set up the lynching museum he doesn't call it the yeah lynching museum in mississippi but they had it in heroes yeah and and he made a comment they were talking about robin's question which is where do we go from here and roy you correctly point out sort of this morass of problems and one of the things they talked about was all the bones the skeleton of our community our society but what's missing was what we're challenged to are the things that's holding us together the sinew that holds the skeleton together mm. and the sinew being the belief in truth the belief in science the belief in community those things that connect us and so robin you gave examples of things that connect us but we, when we talk about photo voice and we talk about that thing, that sinew that holds us together, to me, it's story. It's that humanity that connects us. And the image with the caption and the stories that go with the image is an opportunity to build that sinew, to build that thing that holds our skeleton together. I think Roy's lived his life that way in his work. Yeah. You can see it. Well, a new enlightenment. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. Yeah, a new age of enlightenment. 
yeah, okay, yeah. Because yeah. the, Brit, the, the British invented that one. Uh, we need a new one. <laughs> of course. Because that, that, that also added colonial school as okay. well. You're going to colonize <laughs> the US, is that it? <laughs> You're a good Welsh. I do. I like to think of Albuquerque as being a, a, a center of an enlightened practice right. that attracted you there. Yeah. yeah. The, the medical school, at least. Mm-hmm. And, and medical schools that reinvent the way they think that, that encourage people to sit down cross-legged on a floor and listen, right? Listen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, listen. That's magic. More Roy, listening, this, less telling. I yeah. used to talk about aid workers, AID workers in East Africa. I most appreciated those who had some cow dung on their shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Always yeah. trust someone with cow dung on their shoes. That's that, it. That's yeah. a good lesson. <laughs> you're too polished, you're not to be trusted. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, Bob always likes to go out with a joke, and I think that's a pretty good one. <laughs> it's certainly a good life lesson. Really. You guys have left me feeling like I had taken three bottles of wine. <laughs> Roy, this has been an absolute, I can't tell you, I was just, I was like a giddy school person this morning when I woke up thinking, oh, I am going to be talking to someone I've been reading about, thinking about, and just thank you. Thank you for what you've done for the field, even yeah. though you didn't really imagine photo voice as being someplace this is going to be applied, but your words have reached out across the world, across nations. This journal coming up is going to be a reflection of that. Sure, want to make sure you get a copy of it when it comes out. So stick around for another year because you know how journals are. But when it comes out, we'll be sure to send you a copy and, and you'll see your work being talked about Reflected. inside it. Send me any, any other references you think I should be aware of. Okay, okay. sounds good. Thank you so Thank much, you. Roy. Thank, Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Arden. This ends our final series. So not this ends our present series, but stay tuned. There'll probably be another one. Okay. Cheerio. Bye-bye, folks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode from the HPP podcast. If you enjoyed this content, let us know. You can find more from us on our website, social media, Sophie, and Sage. And you can find all of these links in the podcast description. Take care.